Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat and let's give a, uh, just a clap to the Lord for giving us Chris and Briley this morning. Uh, welcome to the core team season of Salt Church. Uh, today's going to look a little bit different if you were here with us last week, kind of instead of uh, preaching uh, a message, it's going to be kind of more of a, just a co-led teaching uh, with the whole goal to equip us uh, as church planters. There's a process in church planting. Uh, when you look at a small tree uh, that's planted in your yard, you might look at it and be like, come on, why won't this tree grow already, right? Uh, but it takes seasons, it takes time. Uh, and that's the same thing that's gonna be true of this church plant. Uh, but we believe uh, that if we go through this process, uh, the Lord will build his church. Um, and so, yeah, we're gonna look at the topic of gather today. And uh, I mean, scatter. scatter. Sorry. So we talked about gather last week uh, and uh, we're going to talk about scatter. And so just big picture, um, we have a vision at our church and we believe it's good to have a vision. Uh, most churches don't have a vision. There was just this big study. Did you know that like 90% of churches uh, in America right now are shrinking and their vision right now is basically, please don't leave the church. And then there's another like five to 9% of churches and they're growing uh, but their main vision is we want to do church better than the other church so we can try to get their people. So come check out our church. It's better than theirs. And then statistics say there's really only 1% of churches today in America are multiplying. And so that's our vision. Our vision is to be a church planting movement that the church wouldn't just be us, but that we could plant churches in Laramie and Boulder and Denver and Colorado Springs or wherever the Lord leads. And we would love to see college kids go through our college ministry all four years. And then when they graduate to be sent out as church planters so that the church can multiply. And so that's our vision is we exist to glorify God by multiplying disciples and churches to reach the next generation. I kind of like to look at it like a, a football team. Uh, if you're a football team, you have a vision uh, to make it to the playoffs or to make it to the Super Bowl. That's the same in high school football, college football, uh, and the NFL. I don't know if the Broncos have a vision to do that. Maybe they just, uh, you know, want to lose. I don't know. But that should be the vision of every football team, and it should be the vision uh, of every church. And then we break that down into our church mission um, is this, to make disciples who love God and others. And so big picture, the vision, we want to be a church that multiplies. That's not just going to happen though. Just like a football team, they're not just going to make it to the Super Bowl if they have wishful thinking. They're actually going to have to practice each day. They're going to have to eat healthy. They're going to have to exercise and they're going to have to show up on Sunday and win if they want to make it to uh, the playoffs in the Super Bowl. So the same is true of us as a church. Like if we don't love people and if we don't make disciples, this whole thing of multiplying churches, uh, it's all in vain. And so we're going to break it down even more into our rhythms. And so at Salt Church, we're going to have two rhythms, two primary rhythms, which is to gather on Sundays. It's exactly what we're doing today for an hour and a half to worship, hear from God's word, communion, baptism. Uh, and then we're also going to scatter into missional home groups uh, throughout the week. And so why do we scatter? I think one of the ways to think of it is we can't just stay in this church building all week long, right? That'd be a weird mission of the church. Like, hey, just show up to church on Sunday and then just stay there for the rest of the week and then just do that until Jesus returns. Like, that's not what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to come here, be equipped, be filled up, and then go out as a people uh, to live on mission. And we see this in Acts chapter two with the early church. It says this, 
Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we see they had this big gathering, but we also see them spreading out and scattering throughout their city in the home. And that's exactly what we want to do as a church here as we look at home groups. I love what Acts 8.1 says. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And what happened when the church scattered because of this persecution, they were pushed out of Jerusalem and they were pushed to new places. And literally right after that, there's an evangelist named Philip. He runs into an African dude um, and he shares the gospel with him and he is baptized and believes, and he's going to go now take that gospel uh, to, to another continent. And so when you look at the numbers of how the church started, it's absolutely staggering. Here's some statistics. Um, 3000 people were saved at Pentecost, right? Peter's famous message at 150 AD, there were now 40,000 Christians. And so we see it multiplying. And now by the year 400 AD, there are about 40 million Christians. And so there was massive multiplication as they scattered and they went and started uh, new churches. And so one of the ways I like to look at the DNA of the church, it's like a seed, like an apple seed. But when you look at that one little seed, not only does it have the potential to become a tree, it also has the potential to become a forest. And that's what God has put into the DNA of the church, that we wouldn't just become one tree, but that we could all grow in maturity, die to ourselves and multiply, that we could become a forest of churches that goes all over the globe to reveal the glory of God. And why does this matter for us? Jesus wants so much more than just a Sunday gathering. We come from a, a, a place in America where church is almost a cultural thing and church is just a Sunday gathering. But when we look at the early church, that was just part of the church. We were made for so much more. We can't just stay here and hope people show up. Now, I want you guys to think of the church as like, uh, for Greeley here, we are like this people and we're like a cup. And we're filled up with this living water. And like 90% of Greeley is literally dying of thirst, right? And we put up this big sign out there. We blast some stuff on social media. And we're like, please come to our church and be filled up so you don't die and you can find eternal life. But the problem is maybe like 80% of the people don't even see that sign. They don't see our ad on Facebook. And the scriptures also tell us there's a devil that's going out convincing people. Jesus isn't the answer. He's actually not what's going to satisfy you. You need to go find joy in this, this, or this. So what do we do as a church? We need to scatter into our neighborhoods, our networks, the places where we work, live, and play. And we can actually bring this good news, this living water to a dying world. And this is the power of the gospel. When you think about other religions, if you really want to experience God, you have to go to a certain place. In Mormonism, if you really want to experience God, you need to go to the temple in Salt Lake City. Uh, in Islam, one of their pillars is you need to go to Mecca because you're going to have a great spiritual experience if you go to that meteor uh, I can't remember what it's called, the cobblestone or something like that, right? Uh, but even in Jerusalem, you need to go to the Wailing Wall if you really want to have, and Judaism, if you want to have an experience. But Jesus has this new teaching where he says, hey, 
When I died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn, meaning you don't need to go to a place to experience God. You need to put your faith in Jesus. He will fill you with his presence. And now you can take the presence of God to the rest of the world. And so the people in your workplace, the people at your gym, the people at a brewery, the people at a coffee shop, they don't know the Lord, uh, most likely. And guess how they're going to experience God? Through you. You actually carry the divine nature within you. You have the living water to take that to that place. And in Colorado, if you invite someone to church on Sunday, they might come. But because of their perception of the church, there's a good chance they won't. But when you engage with them, invite them into your home, that's going to probably be a better uh, opportunity for you to share the gospel. So I just want to remind us we're a small tree right now. And this is an amazing season to be a part of, but God is going to have a process in which we grow and our network expands and we get to bring this living water to the rest of Greeley. And so that's going to be kind of what we're looking at today to equip all of us as church planters, the process for growth that we would do the hard work and the good work uh, of an evangelist. Now, me and John could come up here and try to motivate you in a lot of different ways. You'll see this in churches. They'll say, hey, we want you to give money to the church uh, because if you do, God will give money to you, right? Like it's a weird way to motivate. I'm uh, not really biblical. Or we might put fear in you guys like, hey, if you don't share the gospel with somebody, you know, God's going to judge you on judgment day. So you better get out there and show the, share the gospel, right? There's a lot of ways that uh, pastors can get up and motivate people to do things. But we see from the scriptures, if you want somebody to give genuinely from their heart over time, you have to show them how much God gave for them in Christ Jesus. And now in Jesus, you have everything. And you know what happens when your heart is wrecked by the gospel of grace? You hold your bank account like this. You're like, man, I'm the richest person in the world. I can be generous now. I don't need to freak out. I have a good dad in heaven who loves me and has power over all things. It frees me up that I can be generous. Now we can say the same thing about community. You guys all need to invite people into your house, share the gospel so our church can grow. And that motivation might work for a little bit, but it's just going to wear you out and it's going to be a terrible, fearful experience. But if you think about the gospel, how it motivates you for community, it's this. We were all once outcasts, separated from God, uh, almost at living as exiles. Life was miserable, depressing. There's nothing to live for. But Jesus came and he became that outcast, crucified outside the camp on the cross, receiving all the curse for sin so that all of us here, like Chris saying, could be brought near by the precious blood of Jesus. And now that Jesus has become an exile for you, you get to belong to a community. And when that motivates your heart, you can look at the lost and say, man, I want them to experience the love of Jesus. I want them to escape the wrath of God that is coming to all the world, that they could stand before God by faith in Jesus and be completely free. And so that's our motivation today, that we would be a church that lives on mission in community, but that we would 100% be motivated by the gospel of grace and grace alone. So we're going to have some questions today, John. Uh, you want to tee us off on those? Yeah, do we need to ask questions after that? That was so good, bro. Uh, let's pray and go home. Uh, no, but we'll, we'll ask some questions uh, to flesh this out practically. Um, so Keith, as we talk about scattering as the church throughout the rest of the week, um, one of the things um, that you have just 
like put a, a stake in the ground on as we've come uh, to uh, look at salt churches is, is this idea of community. Why, why is that the foundation for scattering and why do we scatter together? Why is it important for us to be together in that? Yeah. And just like a foundation for community, this is kind of a crazy thought. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And this was before sin even entered into the world. He basically cursed isolation and loneliness, said it's not good for us to be alone. So the first thing we need to know about how we were made and how we were wired, like we weren't made to be alone. We even see God say this amazing thing in Genesis 1. He says, uh, let us make man in our image and likeness, which is this plural word. So God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's community, perfect union and we are made in his image. And so first of all, just foundationally, we were made to be in community. And then we even see in the scriptures when Jesus sent out missionaries, he always did it in the form of community. It was in twos or, or large groups and they would go out and they would meet in homes and they were never doing um, this thing alone. And I love what Psalm 16, three says, it says this, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This is amazing. David saying, you know who I really enjoy are God's people. And, and this is true. When you find a friend, it's usually because you love the same things, right? Like you guys have something in common and you're like, man, I love this. And, and you love this. This is amazing. And so even for me, like I'm a Wyoming graduate and I know like Todd and Zach are too. And so the first thing was like, do you guys like Wyoming football? Like no one else here does. We have all these other schools here, but they do. And I'm like, man, can we be best friends? Can we hang out all the time? Like I want to be your friend. Right. And so we see David here saying like, you love God. I love God. And because of that, like you are so fun for me to be around that. It's actually this massive delight that he has. And so this becomes our driving motivation for community and mission that we love the mission of Jesus so much. And we love the fact that other people love the mission of Jesus that we're like, hey, this is the greatest calling we could ever have. Why don't we go and do this together use our home, use our career, use everything God has given us together to advance the kingdom of God. That's so good, man. Um, yeah, I, I think community is so crucial to the scattered church because it's the best vehicle we have for getting the gospel out there. Um, and I just wanted to share a little bit of how you actually see this throughout uh, scripture. Uh, Genesis 26, four, uh, God is talking to Abraham here. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars and the heavens and will give your offspring all these lands, right? So he's saying, I'm going to, uh, multiply the offspring of Abraham, but he has a purpose behind this, right? It says, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The point of bringing this people together was to bless the nations. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 27 through 28 says, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Why? Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And then Psalm 67, one through three says, uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. It's kind of that classic blessing out of the, the Hebrew Bible. Why is that blessing there? that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all your peoples praise you. And then if you jump to the New Testament, you see the same thing play out. Uh, Mark eleven seventeen. 17, uh, this is when Jesus kicks everybody out of the temple because they're not making it a place of prayer. They're actually 
they're, they're literally doing the opposite of what God called them to be is, Hey, be this people of prayer so that when the nations come, they see you praising God. And what they did is they actually separated uh, themselves and didn't allow foreigners anywhere near the temple. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, Mark 11, he says, is it not written? My house shall be called the house of prayer. Why? For all the nations. They, they're supposed to come in and see that. Uh, John 13, 35, one of my favorite uh, verses says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The whole point of us having love for one another isn't just for ourselves. It doesn't say, hey, you're going to be known by your, uh, uh, you're not going to be known as disciples of Jesus by the, how well you serve the world or how well you engage culture. It's actually by how well we love each other. Um, and then John 17, 20 through 23, uh, there's two particular uh, sections in here where he says, so that, um, which shows you the importance of our community, right? It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I love this uh, scripture too, real quick, because it's actually, it's, Jesus is talking about us. This is his high priestly prayer in uh, John 17. And he's saying like, I'm not just praying for my 12 disciples. I'm praying for all the people that are gonna believe after them. That, that's all of us uh, in this room. Um, and he says, uh, that they may all be one. That's what he's praying. That's community language, right? Just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? Why is he praying for this unity and community? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. It has a missional purpose. And then he goes on to say, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? Why is he praying for this unity? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. The reality is, guys, there's no mavericks when it comes to the church. As the church scattered, we have to do this together. And I think part of the reason we're doing it together is because uh, it makes the gospel more believable. It's not just a matter of getting the facts out there of, hey, Jesus died for your sins. People want to see that the gospel actually can change people. And that's done in the context of community, right? We see this play out uh, like on a health level, right? If somebody's a smoker and a doctor lays out the facts and says, if you keep smoking, this is your health and it's not going to be good. Most of those people walk out of that doctor's office and they go right back to smoking. They're not going to change, right? But yet, if you look at something like AA meetings with the 12 steps, they have a, a higher success rate of allow, getting people to stop that addiction. Why? Because it's always done in the context of community. Um, it's always done in the context of change. And so, yeah, community has the power to change people. Yeah, and, um, and you know, here's the reality. Every single one of you guys are going to scatter after this. You guys aren't going to go all go to the same place. You're going to go to your homes. You're going to go to different workplaces. You're going to go to different gyms, coffee shops, breweries, if you're into that. But all of you are going to scatter to different places. And now the reality is this life is like very, very difficult and painful, full of highs and lows. And so we even see when the early church went into hard times, it turned to rejoice and prayer and celebration. And if you've ever gone through something and you do it alone, it can be one of the most discouraging, painful, isolating things where it's just your voice that you're hearing, and it can be terrible. We see in the early church, like, they went through some really hard times, but they came together, they encouraged each other, they turned it into praise and celebration, and they were able to continue to go on and live for mission. And so I know my wife and I, like, you know, you go through the week, you have kids, you're busy, and you're like, do I really have time to like meet with a bunch of other Christians, drive across town? Like it can be really hard and exhausting with the busyness that we have in life. Sometimes my wife and I will even get like in an argument, like one hour before our uh, home group. And we're like, man, I don't really want to go to that. 
uh, I kind of just feel sad right now, you know, but every time we go and we meet with God's people and we encourage each other and share the things we're going through and people pray with us, we always leave encouraged and it is so good for our spiritual health, emotional health, our family, our children. And so I just want to encourage you all um, to take scattering just as serious as you take uh, this Sunday gathering. Uh, and our second question then is, what is a home group? John, what is it? Is it a Bible study? Is it something more? What is it? Yeah, it's something more. Uh, I'll get to that here in a second. Um, but real quick, you guys are the scattered church the other six days of, of the week, um, wherever you live, work, and play. But as a church, we've specifically chosen uh, the home group as the vehicle that's going to take the gospel to where you live, work, and play. That's why these groups are set up. That's their purpose. And um, we're going to start a teaching series next week on our core values. Uh, our core values are what we aren't going to sacrifice in the mission and the vision. But those core values also lay out uh, some rhythms or some health, healthy uh, habits and practices for actual home groups. And um, so real quick as a recap, the gospel uh, is uh, the down, it's represented by a down arrow because Jesus came down to us because we couldn't get up to him. Uh, and then every other arrow, we have three other core values, is a response to the gospel. And they're lived out uh, on an individual level. And they're also lived out specifically in the home groups. Uh, and so up is spiritual formation. We want these groups uh, to have time where you're going to open up the Bible. You are going to be changed by the scripture. You are going to be changed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the uh, in is represented by a community. We want like real life relationships where people are sharing hurts, struggles. They know each other's needs. Uh, they actually feel like they have a sense of belonging. And then out is mission. Uh, and so we want to care about our neighbors. We want to care about our workers. We want to care about the people in our lives that don't know Jesus. And so each of these groups are all going to have those uh, rhythms of up, in, out, all in response to down. So they're all going to do spiritual formation. They're all going to have community. They're all going to have mission in some way, shape, or form throughout their schedule, all in response to the gospel. And kind of a helpful slide as we think through a home group um, is this. And so this is more of just an illustration. Don't think that like you can only do up or spiritual formation in the living room, or you can only do in, in the dining room. Uh, this is just trying to give you a uh, illustration of, of a home group uh, living out these rhythms. And so if you think of your living room though, that is the place where you often like engage with people in, in tangible dialogue and get to know people. And um, like, I know for our family, like that's honestly where like good conversations happen with our kids, where we're reading the Bible to them. We're teaching them about Jesus. Uh, they're asking questions and it's good. So if you think of your living room, uh, that's spiritual formation. The dining room is, and we're going to talk about this later, the importance of hospitality, but that's honestly like, I get to know the people the best and feel like a sense of belonging when I share a meal with them. Um, so if you think of community, think of the dining room, and then the front yard uh, is your mission. That's where you're going to engage with your neighbors. That's where you're going to meet people uh, on the out, outside of our community uh, and uh, bring the gospel there. And then the foundation of the home is the gospel because everything that we do is built on the foundation. So think of this like an illustration. Again, you're not limited to doing spiritual formation in your living room and only doing community in your dining room. But this is just an illustration to help show that home groups are going to have all three of these rhythms in response to uh, the gospel. I told John that we should have the bedroom as a place that we multiply to because it's just in our church DNA, but he didn't want that in the slide. So anyways, doesn't work unless you're married. Okay. Doesn't work. 
Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to, how to transition back out of that. Um, yeah. So again, every home group is going to look a little different because every neighborhood network place is different. But, uh, and just like every family is different, um, every home group is going to be different, but they're going to have these rhythms in some way, shape or form. And think of them like in your own family, you have kind of a weekly schedule. You have kind of, uh, maybe a weekly chore list that you're going to do. Maybe Tuesday's taco night. Maybe Saturday is movie night. Maybe one uh, person in uh, your family does all the laundry. Maybe another person does uh, the dishes. You kind of have uh, something like that to, to make a functioning home, right? Uh, but there's balance to these rhythms, right? You're not super strict on uh, these schedules because that just kind of sucks all the fun out of the home, right? If you're like militant about the schedule um, of your house, then there's no fun, right? It's right. You guys ever experienced this, but I went over, you know, to my grandma and grandpa's house often, and it was like you couldn't play on anything because it was like walking on eggshells uh, because they wanted to keep it all neat and tidy. Um, but also, if you didn't have any rhythms growing up in your house, uh, it would create chaos. Uh, you know, suddenly you find yourself eating spaghetti with a spatula off of a frisbee because nobody did dishes. Um, not that I have ever experienced that. That was my college life. Um, but again, these are these rhythms work more like guidelines. Um, they're not. So down, up, or uh, sorry, up, in, out, they're not actually the point. They're like tracks that we run along so that we all begin to look like Jesus and the gospel gets out to our community. That's, the point is not just to do up, in, out well. The point is to do those things so that the gospel gets out and we create an attractive culture to the world uh, to see. Um, and again, you don't just fall into that. You do need some structure, but at the same time, you're also not going to um, be so strict about that because discipleship isn't always up and to the right. It's not always linear. Human beings are complex. We're not uh, on an assembly line when we make uh, disciples. And so uh, the reality is, though, is we, all ne- we need all three of the rhythms. When you, when you only have one, it kind of makes the home group grow weird uh, and, and, and kind of get funky. So I have another slide here as a, de- a Venn diagram to kind of show why we need uh, all three. So the ideal is you want to shoot for the middle uh, because you want all three of them working together. But if all you do is spiritual formation, chances are you're probably just going to be a Bible study. You just open up the word. All you do is read the Bible every week. Nobody knows their problems. You don't care about the lost people in your lives. It's just literally let's get the knowledge into people's heads and hope that transformation happens. Um, If all you do is community, then you're just basically a country club, right? It's like, hey, let's go play golf for a bit. Let's uh, eat a meal. And everything is superficial. You talk about the weather. You talk about how bad uh, the Denver Broncos are doing right now. And conversation basically just stays at that level. Um, and then uh, out, if all you do is, is out, then you kind of just become a social activist, right? You just run around the town trying to solve every problem uh, that you run into. And then you can kind of be a combination of all of them, right? Like, or a combination of two and then miss the other one. Um, probably the one that I've seen that's the most common is having spiritual formation and community well and forgetting mission. And if that's what you are, you end up kind of a religious clique or a cult, because you, you maybe have really good community. You maybe read the Bible, but nobody's coming to know Jesus. Nobody's engaging their lost neighbors. Nobody's sharing the gospel. It's just a group for Christians, and that's it. Um, 
if you're, uh, if you're doing mission well and you're doing spiritual formation well, those tend to be kind of the militant evangelists. They'll go out maybe street preaching. <laughs> I've got to get the gospel out to everybody. Um, but there's no real sense of community. People are like, once, once they become a believer, it's like they drop you and you have no sense of belonging. It's just all about the mission and making sure people understand the gospel. And then you, you could also have mission and community well, but miss spiritual formation. And then you're kind of like a social media group where it's like, yeah, you care about social activism and maybe you have some superficial community because you have an online thing, but you really don't care about forming people to become like actual disciples. You just want to fix problems and maybe get people connected, but there is an actual discipleship going on. And so um, that's kind of a baseline for home groups. They're always going to be up and out in response to the gospel. You need all three to have a home group. Awesome. Um, yeah, so our next next question here we're going to look at is just why why the home? And uh, what's the importance of a home? Why do we call this a home group? We see in Acts 2, um, but I think, too, it's going to be like kind of our mission outpost place. Uh, we live in an increasingly secular society. Some people would call it postmodern or even like pre-Christian. And basically what that means is like over the last 20 years, there's been a distrust in our culture towards institutional Sunday morning gatherings. And so when you invite someone to a Sunday morning gathering, like I said, some people are going to come. Um, but a lot of people are going to be like, man, I know what the church is about. We've talked about that in college. I've seen stuff on TikTok or Twitter or whatever. Like the church isn't a safe place for me. That's not where I'm going to go to find satisfaction. But when you invite someone into your house as a Christian, it's, I think it's completely different, especially in Colorado. Uh, where we're missionaries right now, is I think a lot of people here are extremely lonely. And most people, I would even say in this church, they don't have a ton of biological family like within five miles of where they live, right? Um, maybe maybe some, but for the most part, like there's not just this huge tight-knit biological family that people have in Colorado. And so we get to become this new spiritual family living on mission where we get to invite lonely people um, into our into our house where we can provide hospitality to them. We even see in the, in the Bible that one of the qualifications, even to be a leader of a church, is to have hospitality. So it's something that we should all strive for to open up our homes and invite people in uh, through a rhythm. Now, that might sound, sound terrifying to you to invite someone over to your house and uh, the work it takes, and maybe you're going to feel judged because you don't have nice stuff. Um, there's a pastor, his name's John Piper, and he wrote this uh, great article and he preached a sermon on it. And it was just called like, uh, you know, make chicken noodle soup and have like plastic bowls. Like it doesn't matter. Like just invite people over, have like a below average meal, ask them questions, get to know them, open up your home. And there are so many lonely people. Uh, when my wife and I moved to Colorado, we were part of a church that was all about the Sunday gathering. They didn't do something called a home group. They might've had like a, a men's Bible study or a women's event, but never just families and couples and kids all coming together to be a family. And so when my wife and I got into that group in Fort Collins, it was so healing because we finally had family to belong to, to be known, to know others, to uh, invite our neighbors to, to live on mission and have a purpose. And so um, I love what, um, how Matthew did ministry. Um, you want to put this verse up? Um, it says, um, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And I just love how Jesus did ministry. When you look at the diversity 
of the table that he had, like his disciples were there, but there were also sinners and there were also tax collectors. And I think that's one of the things that we can do in our home group. It's not just this holy huddle of just disciples, but man, you can bring the guy who works for the IRS over sometime, even though we all hate him. But it's like, dude, you should come hang out, man. We want to share the gospel with you. Uh, We can invite the sinner over so that they can hear the gospel. And I think that's going to happen around a table. Uh, And the power of a table is this. You guys are all extremely busy, but you know what everyone has to do? Everyone has to eat. And so it's like the one time you can like, hey, let's have lunch or let's have dinner together. You're going to have to eat at some point. I'm going to have to eat at some point. So this is a time we can actually connect and do something together. And so when you look through the gospels, literally like everything Jesus was doing, it was either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or he was at a meal. Like that was how he did a ton of his ministry. And so we're kind of just trying to follow uh, Jesus in this. I love that, dude. And you asked why the home. And I think that goes back to the last question on like what a home group is. We call them home groups because we think the home is actually a great vehicle uh, to to live out these rhythms of up in and out. Um, You can do all three of those at your house. Uh, You can read the Bible, be spiritually formed, have spiritual conversations, talk about uh, how the scriptures are applying to you and how life change can happen. You can invite people over, share a meal, have deep conversations where people feel a sense of belonging. You could do events at your house that are just fun, movie nights, game nights, whatever. Uh, or And it's a missional thing, as you've talked about. Like More people are likely to come to your house and get to know you and, um, than, than just you know, maybe come to this gathering. And I think you, know, you don't live where you live by accident. Guys, you, you spend probably the majority of your time in your life in your neighborhood. Think of how often you are in such close proximity to your neighbors that no one else in this room really has. You are there for a purpose. Like that's a kingdom post uh, that you can invite people into and share the gospel. And actually we see, this is how the gospel spread in the ancient world. Like everybody wants to make much of Paul as in his missionary journeys, but he's simply just one example uh, of how the gospel spread. In fact, if you read Acts, you'll notice that Paul sometimes went into places like Crete and Colossae, and there were already churches planted there. How did that happen? Well, it happened because families moved as Acts 8, 1, we talked about scattered out and brought the gospel there. Acts 2 talks about they met in temples, or I'm sorry, they met in the temple and in each other's homes. That word there in the Greek is oikos, and it means like extended family. It's not just moms, dads, and kids. It's moms, dads, grandparents, cousins, everybody. It's a collection. It's a community. We are on mission together, and that's how the gospel uh, spreads in that way. Awesome. Thanks, John. And then uh, just our last uh, question. We just want to want just to be super practical with you guys of how can we be missional uh, in our neighborhoods? And so even on your uh, table, we'll do discussion questions in a little bit, but there's just 25 helpful things that you can do in your neighborhood to start to cultivate a gospel uh, centered relationship. Um, And so, yeah, one of the things I just want to encourage us, depending on the culture that you grew up with, um, is maybe you've been told like you shouldn't have non-believing friends, right? Uh, And there is a Bible verse that says um, good, bad company corrupts good morals. And so like if all your friends are non-believers and all you do is like hang out at the bar and like drink way too much and uh, like it's, it's, it could actually hurt your faith and shipwreck your faith. 
Um, and so I want to kind of just put it simple, like your primary friends um, as a Christian should be the family of God. Like those are your family. That's who you spend the majority of your time with. Those are who you, the people you go to for advice, but you should all start to cultivate secondary relationships and friendships. So you should have non-believing friends who are really far away from the gospel and you're intentionally engaging with them and praying for them. And this is the beauty of this model, like what gym you go to, what coffee shop you go to, the school you work in, wherever you work, you can start to look at these people that you're with and simply pray, Lord, would you reveal the gospel to them? Would you reveal the gospel to them. And you know what is beautiful about that? There's probably no one praying for that person. And God put you there that you get to be that one person who's praying for that person. And then we know faith comes from hearing the word of God. It's just saying, Lord, reveal yourself to this person. Let me become a friend with them or open up a door that we can have a gospel conversation so that they can hear the word of God, that they can confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord so that they can be saved. And that's the responsibility that we all have where God has placed us. Yeah, I think of this question on, on how, how do we be missional? What does it look like uh, you know, in, in our neighborhoods and networks and places that we live? I think the first thing we need to do is pray. Um, you know, you've been such an encouragement to me on this, like uh, just as a, a man that wants to pray a lot. Um, and it's reminding me that like, the mission that we're called to isn't just hard, it's actually impossible. Like you guys, none of us in this room possess the power to get inside a human heart and make them believe in Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so we need to cry out to the Lord to actually move in, in our neighbors, in our coworkers' lives, in, in our friends. Um, you know, and I think of the book of Acts, that's kind of how it starts, right? Jesus doesn't just tell him to go right away. He says, actually stay in Jerusalem, pray, and wait for power to come on high. Because uh, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit uh, if they were going to accomplish this mission. And then uh, I love this quote from Ed Stetzer. I think it helps frame how we should think of uh, being missional. Uh, he says, The cultural distance between our churches and communities continues to widen, making it harder and harder to communicate the gospel. Being missional means moving intentionally beyond our church preferences, making missional decisions rather than preferential decisions. Today, People, churches, and denominations desperately need to apply the lens of intentional missiology to North America, not just international fields. The most effective comeback churches will be those that intentionally think like missionaries in their context. So if we want to be missional, we have to think of North America like a mission field. I think in part, the American church has lost its ability to engage culture because honestly, we've done two things. We've moved far away from culture creating our own Christian subculture, and we've made war uh, against the culture and the world outside us. And so we've separated ourselves. We've, we've made Christian schools. We've made Christian language. We've made uh, Christian music. We've made, uh, you know, Christian education, all of these things. Uh, and, and what it's done, and I'm not saying those are bad things, but I think what it's done is anytime we start sharing the gospel with somebody, even in North America, we sound like an alien. We sound like a foreigner because we've created our own subculture. And then we've gone to war with the culture, railing against things out in the world. And Christians begin to become defined with, by what they're against rather than what they're for. And no one wants to be a part of a community like that. Uh, and so, again, I'm not saying if we, when we, 
we have to start engaging the culture as a missionary. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean going and looking like the world. Uh, I think it starts with learning to engage the culture on a level where we're actually listening to them and learning uh, more about them and creating a community that is so attractive that people take notice, not just what we're against, but what we're actually uh, for. And so what does that look like practically to think like a missionary? I just got three things here. One, learn the language of the culture. What are people asking in our culture? You know, I think even 30 years ago, people would define identity by what they achieve. That's no longer the case today. Uh, people are going to define identity by what they claim to just be. And so that, that fundamentally changes people's perception of reality and the major questions they're asking. And so when we bring the gospel to the culture, we got to make sure that the gospel is actually answering the questions that the culture is actually answering, not the ones we want to answer. Um, I think uh, we need to learn the needs of people. That, that, 20, that list of 25 uh, ways to get to know your neighbors is crucial because how are we going to love our neighbors if we don't know their needs? We actually have to listen to them. Like the average college student here at UNC or the average uh, Hispanic person here, what do they actually need? What do they say they need? Not what do we think they need? Um, and then learning how to share the gospel. We have to, I, I feel like um, in my own experience anyways, uh, I kind of grew up doing street evangelism. And so it was kind of like, well, I don't want to do that because that's awkward. And we threw the baby out with the bathwater. And now we're raising a whole new generation that doesn't, doesn't literally know how to actually share the gospel because we've thrown that piece out. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, let's talk about different ways we're going to evangelize. But I do think there comes a point where you have to know the gospel. You've got to know your own story and you've got to know how to share it in uh, context. Part of that is just practicing it, learning it. That's where your home groups are going to be a great opportunity to learn your story and learn how to share the gospel. Awesome. Thanks, John. And uh, yeah, we're just going to close now with some discussion questions. And uh, the purpose of this is uh, just to equip all of you as church planters to challenge each other, to learn from each other, that we can take what we've learned today and, uh, and apply it to our lives. And so I'm going to give you guys maybe like five or 10 minutes. Uh, we have three questions. The last one's basically a prayer. So uh, then we'll come back up, do a little worship communion and close and go from there.